All right. I, I always love it when it turns red. It's that moment of, should I talk now or should I wait a half second and then talk? Well, anyway, I'm going to talk now. I've been talking for a couple seconds. Hey, this is Brent Leary. And once again, I'm back with what I like to call the BBC. Not that one, the Brent Broadcasting Channel. So we've been doing this for, oh, I don't know. I've been sheltering in place for about four, going on five months now, something like that. Uh, thankfully, I know a lot of really smart people, a lot of people doing a lot of cool things, even in the midst of a pandemic. And the person that you are seeing me with right now is definitely one of those folks. His name is Dennis Pombrant. He is the managing, what do you call yourself, managing director of Beagle Research? You usually say managing principal, but I don't even put that on my business card anymore. Because he is Beagle Research. He is the guy. I call myself a customer scientist now. I like that. I that's really cool. And not only that, he is one of the original apocalyptic guys, one of the four horsemen of the CRM apocalypse. Uh, which one are you, though? I we never because we know like Esteban is pestilence. That's already a, like a given. But <laughs> people always called me Shemp. <laughs> okay. So that means, uh, that could mean a number of things. Does that mean Paul would be like Mo? Uh, could be Mo, Larry, really, Chef. I, I want to meet Mo because at least he dishes out as much punishment as he takes. Those other guys, like Larry, forget it, he just gets killed. <laughs> hey, it's really it's a pleasure to have you on. And it's actually a pleasure to have you on outside of Gilmore Gang, which is something that we do together, too. Yes. In fact, we were just on Gilmore Gang uh, this weekend. That was that was a fun show, too. I like doing Gilmore Gang because it's a little different from the stuff that I usually do. Um, and and Steve is just hilarious to work with because he's just an interesting guy. He, he does things a different way, which which makes things intriguing sometimes. Yeah, he's got a world of experience, too. Um, a, a long career doing a lot of different things. So, you know, just a conversation with him. I always learn something. Absolutely. Like he can talk about like uh, playing around with David Sanborn and how he almost met Miles Davis. I mean, you know, that's the kind of stuff that draws me in right there. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he met uh, George Harrison in a very, you know, brief meeting, but I mean, he, he's got great stories. You know, I didn't know anything about Miles Davis, though. Yeah, you got to ask him about it. I, I think it's a near miss or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just wanted you to know that I, I actually broke out a brand new Rams cap. I've never worn this one before. So this just for your honor, man. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> I thought oh. I thought you were going to say it was the Washington team to be named later. <laughs> no. I, that would be like a Washington blank right now because nobody really yeah. knows what that's going to be. But no, but I, I'm glad to, to take some time and talk with you because you just recently released a research project that uh, you did with the folks over at Zoho. And I, what exactly is the title of it? Because I just know the headline, which is more than half of North American businesses basically say that the technology that their company has is not, not quite getting it done. But what, what's give us the overall, you know, lowdown on the study, like the methodology, when it was done, all that kind of stuff. Well, um, 
to answer your first question first, I don't know what it's called because uh, <laughs> we haven't released the report. Uh, they they slurped all of the data into their analytics tool, and the tool is is a wonderful Ginsu knife for slicing and dicing. And they, they found more stuff in the data than I did. Uh, and, you know, more power to them. Great, great, great on them. Um, they, I, I, I did a post at CRM Buyer this week uh, called, I think it was called Improving Company Performance. And um, basically they came to me and said, uh, what do you think about doing a, uh, a study on uh, employee engagement? And I said, fine, I've got this methodology that I use. I, I, I buy data from a company that has a million name database. Um, and so what I'm able to do is, is to say, hey, I want 500 C-level officers from small, medium, and large companies. And bingo, I get them. So you know, gone are the days when you buy it. I used to buy a, a list from a magazine, and it would be populated with 20% grad students or something, <laughs> right? So, so it's really good data. And uh, in this case, uh, we surveyed a little bit over 500 people. And for this research, we, we wanted line of business workers, not C-level officers and stuff like that. So uh, if you're gonna do employee engagement, uh, you know, I did some research, um, and um, one of my favorite places to go is Harvard uh, uh, Business Review online. And uh, I, I found an article that I really liked that said, you know, employee engagement is, is the result of a few things. It's not a thing in itself. It's the result of how well are your, your uh, employees aligned with what you're doing? How well are they led? How well are they trained? And then, oh, you get you get engagement at, at the other end. So we designed a questionnaire that would look at all four of those things. We actually uh, uh, grouped alignment and uh, uh, competence together, and um, and technology and and employee engagement. What we discovered was that uh, employees really kind of like what uh, they're doing. And yeah, here's here's a picture. Uh, Employees kind of liked their jobs, uh, thought their bosses were pretty cool, uh, didn't have any any major issues. Um, they felt fairly well aligned with the um, uh, directions of the organization and felt that the organization did a pretty good job of communicating with them about the mission and what have you. What we also discovered, though, is, was that uh, they're using a balkanized set of technology that doesn't make their jobs any easier. And um, the conclusion I drew from it is that, gee, if you want to improve company performance, it's not gonna be in training, it's not gonna be in uh, alignment or engagement. Those things are all pretty well covered. The, the thing that's going to improve your business is the technology that you're giving your employees to do their job. All right, this is great. And now already, our buddy Alan has, has a bit of a question here. You wanna? Want to tackle Alan's question? How about how much employees understand embrace company vision? Actually, this is a good segue because Alan is actually right on top of something that I wanted to pop up because it caught my attention too. And it's sorry, Alan, I'm gonna have to remove you so uh, we can see the actual thing here. 
So I love this. It's this dashboard. Uh, uh, Zoho is act like you said they, they have the analytics dashboard. So they they pop these survey results into the dashboard here. And the thing that caught my attention was just like you were saying, uh, employees overwhelmingly are are enjoy their job. Uh, they feel it's meaningful work. They have a high satisfaction, but the third one here, oh, the, the third one, no visibility on company direction and big picture. And, oh, they disagree with that too. So it seems like they're all aligned. All these things are aligned up because maybe they do understand their vision of the company. They do understand how they fit into that vision and how their work fits into that vision. And because of all of that, even though the, the technology is a bit of a, you know, they don't feel like it's getting it done. At least the companies are doing a certain amount right. They have identified the vision. They have, I guess, uh, shown that vision to the employees. They've connected that vision to what the, the employees do. And because of all that, at least they've got some of that working for them, even if the technology isn't quite there just yet. Well, I think that's absolutely true. And I think what it, uh, what it also shows is that uh, employees probably don't know what they're missing. They just know that their jobs are a little bit harder because they have, and I, I'm doing another bit of research along this same theme uh, for another vendor right now. And what's coming back to us is, is that, you know, they can have three, four, five screens open or windows open at the same time. They can have their phones open, trying to pull, pull everything together and, and do their jobs. And uh, that, that's just asking an awful lot. Uh, and and it, it really shows up in, uh, you know, when you ask people, well, have you ever, why do you typically lose business? And, you know, the, the answers they come up with is, is you know, I, I didn't, I didn't have the right information to offer something valuable to the, to the vendor, or uh, I got, I got snookered by a competitor who got there faster with better information. And so that's another reason that my conclusion is that, gee, you know, if we had better tools, we'd be doing better business. So this, th this study was done kind of towards the beginning of when everything was shutting down, right? I think it was done in like early April or sometime in April. It was, it was done mostly in April, late, late March and April. So that was kind of towards the beginnings of, of the shutdown. How much of an impact do you think doing this kind of survey in the midst of the shutdown uh, was compared to if, let's say you did it before, like before everything was shut down and before kind of everybody was focused on, gosh, what are we going to do now? Can I, am I going to keep my job? Am I going to be able to do my job? How much of the impact on the pandemic do you think were on the actual results of this survey? Well, I think, I would like to redo the survey in another six months and, and see, but uh, sort of in the middle of it, uh, people were trying to get used to working at home and not going into the office. And we asked some pointed questions. Uh, do you think this technology that you're using right now is sufficient to help you do your job uh, remotely? And I forget what the, what the numbers were, but I think the majority, maybe not a, a, a super majority, but a majority, uh, said, yeah, yeah, we could probably get through uh, doing doing our job this way. But another another uh, 
plurality at least, if not a small majority, uh, said, uh, oh, I don't, I don't ever expect to have to do this job remotely. So, you know, hmm. the, die, the die was not totally cast. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and here's another one that kind of caught my attention. Only 4% report that their job is chaotic and difficult to do well. You juxtapose that against the technology thing. And it's in the middle of a pandemic. I find that kind of interesting that only 4% said that they were their job was chaotic. At least they, they didn't feel like their job was that chaotic, even though they're going through a very chaotic uh, situation. And their technology doesn't appear to be what they think will really help them do their job. That kind of feels a bit off balance there a little bit. It does. And, uh, you know, to to try to analyze that, I invented uh, a scoring system that proved to be very uh, in, in, insightful and influ influential. Most of the questions were asked, do you agree or disagree on a scale of one to five? So one and two were, you know, strongly agree, agree, um, four and five were disagree, strongly disagree. Three in the middle was neutral. And what we discovered was that if you take, you can, you can make a ratio, throw out the neutrals, make a ratio of agree to disagree and over disagree, and you get a number. And uh, what we discovered was, was that um, when these people uh, had bad news to report, the neutrals went way up. So, you know, when things, when, when we were asking a question like, uh, how do you like your job? You know, we had like over five to one. I love my job. Hmm. Uh, and like 20% neutrals. When we asked about technology, uh, we got two to one. And about 38% uh, neutrals. So people really didn't want to give you an answer of a, if it was if it was bad. You know, it was like in the report I say, you know, it's like what your mother used to tell you. Uh, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything. <laughs> and I saw this in, in the math. And what was what was interesting to me is is that uh, you know it's it's legitimate to not have an opinion. However, you know, if we're talking about the job that you do eight hours a day. Uh, not having an opinion is, is, I think, a suspect answer. It almost feels like because we were in the midst of the pandemic, because things were shutting down, people might have been just thankful they had a job and they didn't want to say anything <coughs> negative at all uh, about the job. Uh, and I'm just speculating here, but it'll, it, it will be fascinating. Let's say if you do this six months from now and things are, let's say, not exactly where they were before the pandemic, but looking in a good direction, working towards a really good uh, trajectory on that. And people are feeling a little bit more confident about the overall, you know, public health issue, the economy, uh, their job. Do, do you foresee that kind of environment making people feel more comfortable about being a bit, a bit more truthful about whether they like their job or not? Well, uh, first of all, I, I agree with you. I think I think uh, some of the people answering this survey 
were a little fragile. Uh, fragile from the perspective of, like you say, did, am I gonna have a job in three weeks? Um, and so I think returning to, to that kind of questioning uh, in six months, especially if uh, you know we have a path forward, we, we know that there's a vaccine that's gonna be out shortly. Uh, uh, you know, we've, we've done our social distancing and our mask wearing and, um, you know, the hot spots are, are way down. Uh, Florida looks then like New York looks today. I mean, we didn't have any COVID deaths over the weekend, something like yeah, that. That's great. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, you go out six months, uh, you, and all of those things are true. You'd be uh, you can see people being uh, a lot less fragile. Talk a little bit about what what companies should do with this data, knowing that their employees are, for the most part, pretty happy. Although that might there may be a little bit of reasoning uh, for that that we just talked about. But what areas will technology help these folks the most to feel even better about their job? To feel like they're they're able to do their job more effectively because it seems like, quite honestly, looking at that study, you know, co companies must be doing something right. I mean, they must be, uh, you know, maybe their uh, the corporate culture is aligned in a way that employees feel better about, uh, you know, being there and working in, in that environment. Because uh, mm -hmm. you know, it seems to me like it's those numbers are pretty solid, you know, for even in the pandemic, but even outside of a pandemic, those numbers seem pretty solid. What kind of, what can technology, what can the right technology add to those numbers? Because it seems like they're doing pretty good already. Yeah, the numbers look pretty good, but I think uh, the context you have to look at them in is that, um, you know, this is a broad-based study. It, it surveyed a lot of people across North America, including Canada and the United States. And what it kind of says is that everybody's got about, you know, the same level of technological support. Hmm. Now, now, we all know digital disruption is real and, and people are working like crazy to, uh, to understand digital disruption and, and digitize the business processes that they can to, to have better results. Uh, if you go forward from that proposition, you can easily see a stratification of uh, companies, the ones that, that do a lot in terms of digital disruption and, and the ones that don't. And over time, you're going to see winners and relative losers. So I think what this is saying is, is that uh, now's a good time to... Uh, adopt technology that can support your users better. It also gives you a place to look at, uh, you know, what are the processes that my people do? What are the processes that require them to be in four screens at once in order to get enough information to serve a customer? What are the, what are the apps that uh, I'm letting customers use? And, you know, what is the fallout rate? Are, are people, are my customers using them and liking them or are they just saying, oh, this is terrible and, and, and you know, giving up on it. So it's, it's, a, it's an important point in time. It's a, it's, it's, it's a snapshot in time, a checkpoint. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, it's kind of a no man's land. I, I would say you don't want to be here in a year 
Mm, okay, right. You want to be doing something. Right. Well, you mentioned employees using four screens, trying to figure out, you know, what they need, what kind of data, where they need it from, what app has it, and they have to kind of do it in real time and, and quickly in, in order, particularly if you're a customer-facing employee, to handle a, re a request from a customer. But only 10% of those surveyed said that they could confidently get a complete view of the relationship between the company and customer without having to check several systems. That seems like uh, the story of CRM from the very beginning. And only 10% are saying that now. Are, was that something that were you surprised by that? Or were you not surprised by it? Because it has been like that forever. Well, it's uh, it wasn't surprising per se. It was it was okay. This is where we are. Uh, so, for example, there were single-digit responses to questions like, uh, uh, "We have we are we can talk to our applications." You know, we have voice interface, right? Or uh, my my apps recommend the next best thing to do. Single digits. So. Um, yeah, we've been here before. Maybe things have gone up and down a little bit. Uh, but in the 20 years that I've been following CRM, uh, it strikes me that it's only within the last handful of years that we've really had technology that would change the equation. You, you go back 10, 15 years, and what you had was, was uh, you know, an application that was pretty much a... a an old-fashioned relational database application. You could add, change, delete. Um, you could get reports, uh, and you know, other than that, uh, you had to apply your own intelligence to figure out uh, who who are the uh, what are the deals I need to work on today. For example, there's no there's no next best algorithm lurking. So uh, you know, we, we have gone a long way. Uh, in the last 20 years, I think in the last few years, we finally started applying analytics and some of the things that we need to, to actually uh, improve the way we do work. Let me ask you a question that because it caught me off guard a little bit and I would love to get your take on it. Uh, there was an article, I think it came out over the weekend and it's it said that uh, Salesforce and Mark Benioff have surpassed Oracle in terms of market cap valuation. I, I, that just took me aback because two or three years ago, who would have thought that would ever be the case that this pure CRM company, pure cloud CRM company, that's, you know, that's what they do. And Oracle who does so many things and, you know, covers so many different areas, including CRM, of course, um, to see Salesforce's market cap pass Oracle's, it just just surprised me tremendously. What was your take when you saw that? Well, let, let me let me just say that uh, I'm a fan of Salesforce, in case you didn't know, and <laughs> I'm a fan of Oracle too. Right. Um, what, one of the things that I've always, always prided myself on is that I'm a technology analyst, not a financial analyst. <laughs> right. My questions are not, you know, how much money did it make? My questions are, what is it and does it work? 
Exactly. Right. We, we like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I, I'm enough of a financial guy to know that, that to a degree, a market cap is a beauty contest. Right? It's how many shares have you got outstanding? What does the marketplace think they're worth? And how, will they bid them up? So, uh, you know, Oracle or Salesforce has a, a, a bigger market cap than Oracle. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe that says more about CRM or customer engagement and the combination of that being in the cloud. Because what, I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, Gartner said that CRM software sales finally overtook database uh, sales. This is a couple of years ago. So is this basically just kind of saying that CRM in general has just reached the pinnacle of enterprise uh, software purchasing at this point? It could, although um, I, I will tell you that uh, I'm a huge fan of platforms in all right. of the right. guises. And, um, and, you know, the market could be building this into the, the price of Salesforce stock. Yeah. Uh, not that Oracle doesn't have a, a good platform, right. but uh, I, 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 see, I see CRM as being pretty well built out. And the next frontier in, in CRM is, is vertical market applications, uh, which is why Salesforce bought Velocity. And beyond that, it's it's in uh, what else can we get this platform to make for you to to do business better or to to do life better or whatever. I've I've called this the CRMization of society. I wrote this at uh, CRM Buyer a little while ago, uh, and what what I mean by that is is that if you take a look at what we're doing with COVID. Um, one of the one of the more important uh, contact tracing applications in the market today is from Salesforce, and it is uh, a, a series of Salesforce CRM applications cobbled together and customized for contact tracing. Right. And that's just one example. If if you you know if you you can go as deep as you want with uh, where CRM is going in society. Uh, one of the things I like to point out is is that uh, I started my career almost 40 years ago selling a, uh, a language and a database for the for the healthcare industry. It was called Mumps. I remember <laughs> hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's still in use. I mean, it's it's been changed. It's had a relational front end put on it and a variety of things, but it's fundamentally it's it's still in use and it, it's it's um, it's basically what CRM was 20 years ago. It's a database application, or it produces database applications with you know rows and columns and reports, add, change, delete, and those applications are insufficient to the need that we have right now uh, in the COVID epidemic. There was an article in the New York Times yesterday about how these apps uh, send out their data uh, through faxes. And faxes are, are coming through to, to treatment centers. Just, you know, it's like a, an old Lucille Ball. <laughs> the chocolate thing. The chocolate thing, right. You know, the, the faxes are just going on the floor. And, and, you know, stacks and stacks of people. And they don't have enough data or information on them to, 
to get the information back to the right doctor or the right patient. It's a mess. I say all this in, uh, to, to say that Salesforce uh, is building systems of engagement, systems of intelligence around some of those applications now so that you can, you can bring uh, their, their apps on a, 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 an iPad, a tablet, into a, uh, a, a consultation with the patient. You can look up the mumps data. Uh, you can get pretty charts and pictures like what you were just showing uh, from Zoho. You get pretty charts and pictures and you can, you can derive real information that, and, and get suggestions, suggestions for treatment uh, for the patient. So, you know, when I say CRM, uh, we're talking about the CRMization of society. Those are the kinds of things that I think are, are going to be taking over. It's, it's, it's how do we wrap whatever is out there in a CRM wrapper. Uh, I call it the surround strategy and uh, produce systems, systems of engagement, systems of knowledge, whatever you want to call them to, to help society as a whole, not just uh, people trying to, to sell a market or sell or do customer service. So does the pandemic accelerate that happening? Does the pandemic make it happen? Because maybe it wouldn't happen without something tremendously impacting our whole way of life. Uh, and so rapidly as this has that people all of a sudden say, we have to do something different. We need to do something like this because maybe without the pandemic, they wouldn't even think about it. True. I think it was uh, Edison, maybe, or it's attributed to Edison, who said uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And uh, if you look at this moment as a as a significant dis disruption, typically what happens in a disruption is is we go out and we find the things that we have at hand and figure out new and in interesting ways to put them together to produce solutions to the existing or to the novel problems. Um, I wrote about this in my last book, The Age of Sustainability, and I think it's it's true right now. And I, you know, I see the next few years is, is going to be very interesting times in in the whole disruption thing that is the CRMization of society. It seems to me like uh, of all the kind of software, let's say software slash platforms, software applications, platforms. CRM is the one that's poised to lead the way, like, you know, like you're saying with the CRMization thing. Uh, what's it going to take for that to actually happen? What, what, what are, what, what in the environment beyond the pandemic, uh, what's that going to take for that vision to actually become real? Well, I think it's, it's becoming real right now. It's, it's in the process of becoming, I think, uh, I think we'll only see it see it in in retrospect in a few years. When, you know, we'll go back and say, you know, that pandemic, you know, it was really good for it. It started this, this, and this. And if you think about it, take a look at uh, take a look at some of the announcements that Salesforce has made in the last uh, couple of months. Work.com, uh, CRM Anywhere, uh, things things that are uh, essentially CRM apps twisted and turned and, and modified and integrated differently to support some of the very specific things of this era. And I think 
not just not not just Salesforce, but other vendors also are uh, you know Zoho, uh, Oracle are doing things like this that that, for lack of a better word, I'll say take advantage of of the catastrophe. It, it's amazing how I, I, I kind of like your term CRMization, but it, it, to see uh, a company like Salesforce who was barely 20 years old and built purely in the cloud before it was called the cloud and has reached about a $20 billion annual run rate. Um, it just seems to me like, you know, I have, I'm not seeing any outside of like the fang um, kind of businesses. You're not seeing anything outside of like CRM that is doing those kind of big moves, CRM platforms, CRM-ish kind of technologies, you know, when you combine things like the comp, you know, commerce into, and you're seeing that a lot of these vendors have made those acquisitions. They bought their commerce, commerce piece. And that becomes part of the platform, which is, you know, undergirded with CRM, you know, technology. Right. Are we missing something or is, is there some other kind of technology or some kind of area of technology that could have maybe that kind of trajectory, that kind of impact that we saw kind of start, like Salesforce wasn't the exact first company, but they were amongst the first to put CRM in the cloud, be very specific about, it was actually SFA focused, but uh, that put, put it in the cloud, stuck it out, became this huge gorilla and is really shaping the direction to a certain extent of customer engagement. Are there, is there anything else out there that you're seeing that has that potential to do something that we just didn't see uh, when Salesforce and right now and NetSuite were kind of starting down this path? Yeah. Well, I'll give you, an, I'll give you what I think is an interesting hypothesis. Um, I think it's been around for a long time, but I think social media fits that bill. And I think, I think social media is right now hamstringing itself uh, and is uh, plateauing, not because it, it can't go any further, but because it's losing trust, it's losing trust of, of uh, the user. I think social media um, doesn't have a, a, a really good revenue model or a business model. I mean, it's an advertising model, basically, uh, which is not, I mean, it's a, it's a model that does not insert itself very deeply into a company's business, right? I mean, a, a marketing department might use it to to flog a new widget, but it's it's not integral from what I can see to very deep business processes, and it won't be as long as you have to worry about what the Russians are doing or what the Chinese are doing or or you know, can I trust the, the information that comes out of this? All right. So I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that that social media might, could be uh, the next big thing, but it will require uh, social media to uh, differentiate itself by its business model, and it'll require, frankly, it'll require the professionalization of, of uh, social media. That's going to be tough for those groups. <laughs> those guys they're having some issues right now with that you know 
it, it will be difficult, but it's been done scores of times, maybe even hundreds of times. Hmm. Uh, when, when I talk about professionalization, I'm talking about uh, the same level of professionalization that a beautician has, that a plumber has, that a doctor has. They're, they all get certified somehow through education, but they need a license to practice. And getting a license to practice means getting uh, or understanding and demonstrating an understanding of the proper use of whatever the infrastructure is that you're using. So, for example, um, you don't have to be a plumber to uh, mess with your, your, your plumbing in-house, in your home. But if you are not a plumber, you cannot pull a permit to go dig up the street. Right? Uh, if if you can cut you can cut your sister's hair, but you can't hang out a shingle and do that professionally unless you've you've got certification and a license. And I'm saying that that's that social media has to get to that level of professionalism. Actually, it's still going to be tough because there's there, there's so many obstacles that they have to get over. And some of those obstacles they're putting up for themselves and they well, don't, have, yeah. we, we won't right. mention any names, but, uh, yeah, Mark no, I, I, is his own worst enemy. <laughs> well, I guess we will mention some names. <laughs> so, he yeah. is, I, I totally agree with you. And, uh, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Um, unfortunately for, for him. Yeah. Let me ask you about one other company. I told, I, I usually leave them out, because I think that they're, for years, I think they've been the most fascinating company. They, It's hard to compare this company to any other one individual company. And that would be Amazon. What, where do you see, what do you see in Amazon's future and how will that future impact the overall future of, of business and enterprise, not just consumer, but the actual enterprise? We know it's going to impact the consumer. But how does Amazon play a role, uh, a defining role, possibly, in the enterprise going forward? You know, that's a great question. I think uh, I think Amazon has not made too many mistakes in the decades that we've been watching. Uh, Jeff Bezos and, and his team have done some amazing things. Uh, f first and foremost, uh, by understanding that you can have an infinite store shelf. Uh, by making it virtual. Um, I think the thing that Amazon hasn't done that it's going to need to do is to open itself up a little bit more um, and to and to sell uh, to sell some of its uh, services to other retailers. It's already doing that to, to a degree, um, but it's also competing with them sometimes on purpose and sometimes accidentally. I think, uh, I think the franchising model developed by McDonald's might be a good uh, fit here, a good model, where uh, at some point, you know, McDonald's still owns some of, its, some of its stores, but it is primarily a real estate company, right. a provisioner. Uh, it, is, it is not primarily a company that sells burgers and shakes anymore it's a it's a company that 
that uh, has the secret sauce and sells the secret sauce to other people that want to um, get rich. Um, so I, I think I think at some point Amazon's going to need to be more in that vein than it is right now. But I I don't know enough about their business. It, it seems like they've been unerring uh, for a long time. I I kind of expect Jeff to uh, make the right calls. Well, they have had some failings, but they have way more wins and big wins. Like I was just talking about, uh, you know, Walmart just recently came out with, I think they call it Walmart Plus, which is kind of their answer to Amazon Prime. People don't realize Amazon Prime has been around since like 2005 and they have closing in on 200 million members. Walmart's got a lot of catching up to do. I mean, that's yeah. a far, far, far away goal. Um, and they're just starting down that road. And, and of course, AWS is, I think they're closing in. Maybe they're bigger than $40 billion annual run rate at this point. And uh, I wish I had this, the, the, the graphic, but there is a graphic that came out of, of the top 10 retailers in Amazon. And Amazon's market cap value if I'm not mistaken, uh, is more like 400 billion more than the top 10 combined. And the thing that really stood out, I think at, at that point in time, Amazon's market cap was 1.4 trillion. Walmart's was 360 something billion. So Amazon's market cap is 1 trillion more than Walmart. That was astounding to me <laughs> they're playing in a whole different ball game oh it is it is uh, you know i'll never forget i forget what comic it was when uh, bezos was getting divorced uh yeah it might have been don Cheadle or somebody like that no not no, well what, whatever said boy i don't get this guy you know he just got divorced and he's still the richest man in the world <laughs> yeah doing yeah. a lot doing a lot yeah, Dude. it's really interesting. I think it was uh, Chris Rock. That would make sense. <laughs> Chris, yeah, yeah. That sounds like something Chris Rock would say. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, the thing, all right, you tell me something. What what is the purpose of having Amazon's own delivery service? I mean, it's no. It I think it's like their whole secret castle. It's. It, I think that's their the biggest. Of all the differentiators I think they have, that may end up being the most important one to no have kidding. to build out your. Well, so the whole premise of Amazon, you know, from the very beginning was uh, they had they knew by asking people to do something they had never done before, which is go online to and basically into the ether, put their credit card, uh, you know, information, you know, hit a button, send it out to wherever and then. You know, seven days later, expect a book to come. I mean, that's a big leap of faith that they, that they had to ask people to take. Well, we so, were all younger then. Well, yeah, and less jaded. But, 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 in order for people to take that leap, uh, leap, Bezos knew he had to have certain things in place, and they had to happen work right out the gate. You couldn't let people push a button, and it didn't work the first time. So. All of that was like fulfillment distribution 
and supply chain, making sure everything is in place so that when you did roll it out and you did finally get people to do to take that leap, it worked. And then it worked so much that they did it over and over and over again. The genius in what Bezos and company did was they didn't they didn't stop it. All right. We were able to get them their stuff in seven days and they're happy. Oh, we're good to go. No, they were already like working on. All right. How do we get it to them in three days? How do we get it to them in two days? How do we get it to them you know, in one day? And that's what they're working on now. Also, how do we control the cost? How do we control the whole uh, supply chain so that we can guarantee that it will get there when we say it will get there? And we can also control as much of the cost around making sure all that works. So them buying all these fulfillment and distribution centers all over the country, and I guess now they're going all over the world, uh, relying less on UPS because UPS messed up that one year. And I think it was that Valentine's Day of, I forget, it was 2012 or something where people oh, ordered yeah. stuff. Yeah. And they expect their stuff to get there, you know, in time for Valentine's Day or what's the good, what's the point? So UPS messed up and guess who got the blame? Amazon, because people bought from Amazon. So they're able to build out, uh, you know, their Air, Amazon shipping and Amazon freight they're able to control more of the overall experience because we all know now people's customer experience doesn't, you know, the, Amazon gets dinged if UPS is late. People don't care about UPS being late. They've ordered from Amazon. So they're able to control more of the experience and that allows them to compete on a scale that it's hard for anybody else to do. So I think that, you know, that uh, owning as much of that fulfillment and distribution along with having that Amazon Prime membership, that's an unbeatable combination. Yeah. Well, thanks for explaining that to me. I, was, I had my doubts. I, I mean, I, I would just, you can even go on the Amazon website right now and you can, pre, you can see your very first order. <laughs> you could go to your order history and see your, you can see your whole order history for the most part. But you can, I can go right now and know that my very first Amazon purchase was a book. I think it was Amazon, uh, no, it was Adobe uh, Photoshop for Dummies or something like that. I bought it in 97. Where else can you go to a store and, and ask them, tell me what my first purchase was with your store? There's, no, there's just no other. So they, they knew from the beginning around, you know, data and analytics and fulfillment and distribution and customer focus and it's hard to it's hard to compete with a company that has that built into their dna and you're trying to kind of retrofit it into yours so. i would agree with that retrofitting is is painful and very frequently doesn't work no but you have to do it or, or else you you'll just lose <laughs> faster i guess so right. but right. you gotta try yeah you gotta try but man i went off on a tangent on that one sorry about that i <laughs> was good i learned a lot i learned a lot from uh, our conversation uh beyond just your recent research because that's always great but it's always great talking to you and getting your perspective on the big picture and what's going on in the industry and what's driving things so where can people go to learn more about what you uh what you've done here with the research, but all the other stuff you do. <laughs> Wings, Wings over shoes. What's that mean? Uh, yeah, Chris, you got to. Chris is like, 
way too funny. It goes over my head a lot of times. But is that wings over? Oh, unless they, are they getting sued a lot? I don't know. You're gonna have to explain that one, Chris. We're both of us want to know what that means. Yeah, uh, was that is, is that a McCartney album? I don't know. <laughs> we can ask uh, Steve. Oh wait, here it is. Wings oh, Suez. Wings over Suez took nine months to get. Okay. Oh, what? Nine months? What? This is aerial reconnaissance photograph. <laughs> wow. Buckholtz is really into uh, aerial <laughs> stuff. And oh, yeah. Well, he's fighters. definitely that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, where, where can people learn more about what you're doing and, and the research and all that good stuff? Well, um, I publish mostly at CRM, CRM Buyer these days, and there's you know, a lot of the things we've mentioned have, have been published there recently. I haven't updated my website recently, but BeagleResearch.com. Uh, if you shame me into it, I'll, I'll post a few things there as well. Um, and then uh, just watch this space. Uh, the next research I have coming out is uh, uh, a, a study I did for Salesforce Philanthropy Cloud. Nice. Nice. That uh, tried to uh, understand the, the philanthropic Im impulse in American business, and um, I learned a lot from 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 that, uh, especially just how uh, deep seated uh, the idea of philanthropy or workplace giving is in in the American workplace, uh, irrespective of whether or not uh, somebody uh, some company is, you know, part of the one 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 program, for example, you know, the whole pledge one percent thing um yeah. uh so so that'll be out shortly uh and then i've got some other studies that are uh, percolating right now too uh i'm doing more research right now than i have per year previously uh perhaps it's because of covid i'm really glad to be doing it it's it's fascinating stuff yeah that's awesome uh and i'm glad to see you're doing it too uh, let me say a quick hello to rolf here Rolf is a, a, a good uh, good friend of all the kind of live streams I'm doing. Adds a lot of perspective. So, Rolf, good to see you there. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to be doing a research project, too, uh, coming out a little after Labor Day. I'm going to. Nice. Yeah, it, it's actually Zoho sponsors. So give a shout out to them as well. Um, but, yeah, this is great and definitely look forward to, you know, doing more of these one on ones, although, you know, I enjoy doing Gilmore Gang too and being a part of that conversation, but it's always good just talk to you know another horseman. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, uh, there it is. All right, hey, it's been great, and thanks again for making time to do this, Brent. Thanks, and it was good to catch up. Absolutely, and thanks to you, you guys for checking it out as well. And I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be talking, watching Amazon tomorrow as all mo actually kind of rolled into a watching Amazon episode just a few minutes ago. Uh, but thanks again, and I will see you tomorrow. Bye.